Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on August 2nd, 2019, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat, as we continue our discussion over the extra lore discussion from July, the Witcher series. This particular episode will serve as what we lovingly call the advanced segment, or the advanced session of the week's exploration. Congrats to those who signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of all all those we have on with us on tonight's show. As always, that was a horrible segue. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86. <laughs> I will get better at this. I promise I will get better than this. Um, next up, you hear you hear her giggling in the background. We have our own master social media, the one and only green-eyed music lover. Um, so again, you know, we kind of ran through. It's part yeah, two. Yeah, it's part, it's part two that we don't know what we're doing. I knew. I need to get the the Benny Hill music. Uh, but yeah, no, enough uh-huh. enough of our chatter. I know uh, as as we kind of did in the intro session, I know everyone is looking forward to diving into the discussion. Let's get right into it. Uh, so, plot of the Witcher series. God, this is so weird. Like Dear this new this God. near format is so weird for me. Um I, I, know, I apologize, but it's but it's, so it's gonna it's gonna it's, make it it's, so it's, much easier. It's, it's gonna make it so much easier for yeah. everyone. And I just need to get into use of it, but please just bear with me. Don't kill me on social media for the horrendous segues. Um All right. So prepare for the next three hours, right? Isn't that what we're doing on this one? It's fair warning to anybody listening. If you have any idea of how long our show notes normally are (laughs) (laughs) this is a 17 page was it 17 was it 17 at the end oh yeah it was okay i just was typing 17 pages you just kept going i just kept typing Um, normally a normal episode now granted this is halfway this is two episodes obviously you have the introduction episode in this one we have fleshed out in both sections but Normally, our episodes are maybe 9 to 12 pages long, as far as show notes go. So, buckle up, Buttercup. We're going to go for a ride. Chat's giving me grief. Look, there's time travel involved, okay? Where we're going, we don't need roads. All right. So, this first part... um, All right, so, so real quick. I should, probably should have said this in the intro, but I'm definitely going to say it right now. The story in the book series is going to be significantly linear. Like, it's it's going to be very easy, air quotes around that, easy to follow well, the summary. It's because you're following one story and there's not side quest. Well, I mean, it's basically a collection of side quests organized into a story, right? Whereas, whereas right. the game, the this is the double-edged sword or double-edged blade benefit of the game. The game is significantly open world. Uh, you, we will, you will note this, especially with Witcher two and Witcher three. Witcher one is um, is pretty linear. It's it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Witcher two is a little bit less, and Witcher three is just I I like when I got to Witcher three, I was like I'm I'm gonna go with the primary arc. And I just I'm going to try to summarize it as best I can. Uh, This is all to say that when I get into the game series and I'll reiterate this when we get there, 
when I get into the game series, I really just stuck with the primary arc. Um, there is a significant amount of information that I wasn't able to summarize because otherwise 17 pages would have been like 50 um, because of all the side quests, potential endings and all that. Uh, we also kind of, I don't remember if we said this on stream or on air on the episode, but this is also where we see the, the view of the game's, within the overarching Witcher series are actually viewed predominantly as non-canonical because with the book and with the story of Geralt and Ciri and Yennefer and all them, um, it's very, it's very straightforward as far as the book series. Like it's very linear. This is, this is what happens and this and this, when you get into Witcher two and Witcher three, that entire story becomes much more dependent on the choices of the player. So it's very hard to state canonically that, you know, all potential events are possible. It's not, we're not going to go the Zelda route. You know, it's not going to be all canon. I mean, there is time travel and um, there's time travel even in the book series. And we'll, we'll get into that because there's a multiverse esque model going on here as well. But the predominant, defense of that multiverse uh explanation that is used in the games to kind of explain all the all the different endings is not really canonically accepted within the overarching series as a whole um also that is where you see a lot of the netflix series from what we've seen i think to me that's honestly where i kind of feel like that's why they're going more with the book series rather than the game series is because it's going to be easier to stay faithful to the books because there is an expected arc uh the games there are too many potential side arcs that could change things uh so that's where when if if you're watching the netflix series I think that's going to be more of where, and obviously it hasn't come out yet, but I think that's probably why they're going the route that they seem to be going with the, the, the storyline that they're going with. Um, Do we know if Andre has a hand in it? I would, I would assume that he does. He seems to have, if, if not, he, I, he might not have like developmentally control over what's going on, obviously, but he seems to be very, very up and on top of things with keeping in touch with the developers. Uh, that's actually where the, mm-hmm. the non-canonical comment uh, comes from. Uh, he, he's, he's noted as being uh, Andre as actually, he's actually really close with the development team at CD Projekt Red. And I can't remember, uh, I can't remember if. I think CD Projekt Red has owned it from the entire time. Um, but like the development team, he's pretty close with like he's he's got a relationship with okay. him. But within the book series as a whole, it's still like really the the ending of the books. Uh, it segues into the games. So that's the other thing. The books come pl- The books take place prior to any of the games. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind, too. Uh, but that's where I think like even though he has a relationship with them, I don't know. He doesn't necessarily, I think, agree with some of the ways that they took it. Um, But, but the interesting thing also with Andre is like, there's things that he uses from the fan base as kind of like a reference, like the map. There is no map of the continent. 
which is an interesting thing. Like he's never made a map of the continent. The map that he uses to reference things is actually a map that was drawn by the man who translates because this is a Polish series. Like it's not it's not English. Right. Um, the guy who translated it from Polish. I want to say it was the English translator. It might have been a different translate because it's been translated into multiple languages. But I believe it's the, the translator from Polish to English. He actually drew a map of him by, by himself. And that's the map, apparently, that Andre uses to reference, like, location stuff. And, like, even he's like, yeah, it's pretty close. Like, he's got it in his head, but he never he's never put it down. And I think he won't ever put it down. It's It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and uh, Wet Chinchilla in chat. Like, the relationship between him and CD Projekt Red, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Like, there's, there's, I mean, which, of course, it's kind of, you know, just part and partial. Okay. He said something about making sure Ed Sheeran doesn't make a cameo. Oh, God. Um. So do we want to talk about what is considered canon? Yeah. Okay. Oh man. So there's, there's a good collection of books. Uh, man, this thing, this book series, it was first published in 92. And the last one that I have is, uh, 2013. That was in the original edition. The translated editions were, they were initially translated in 2007. Uh, the last one was season of storms in 2018. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's been a long run, 11 years, uh, arguably, uh, when in the English version of it, I think that's what 20 years in Polish. Uh, so he, this guy's been working on this for a little bit. Uh, the first book that was published was actually the sword of destiny. However, and that was in 92, uh, the Sword of Destiny and The Last Wish, which were the first two books that he published, are basically collections of short stories. Um, it should be noted that The Last Wish was actually published in 93, but the events take place chronologically before. Um, if I remember that correctly. And then, well, yeah. And so, and then the further complication is Season of Storms uh, text takes place actually chronologically before even Last Wish. Uh, but a lot of the community agrees that Season of Storms should be read after the series uh, because there's a number of references and events that if you read it very, if you read that first, you're not going to pick up on stuff. Uh, so Season of Storms is actually the very last one that's been published, but it is chronologically prior to Last Wish. Um. But for the sake of kind of the chronological order, we're going to go in the, the recommended reading route, which is Last Wish, uh, Sword of Destiny, and then what's called the Witcher Saga, which is comprised of five books, which are The Blood of Elves, Time of Contempt, Baptism of Fire, The Tower of the Swallow, The Lady of the Lake, and then finally we come to Season of the Storms, which is, again, chronologically taking place prior to Last Wish. Um, oh, okay, so... All right, you ready? She muted herself. All right, let's go. She, she, I did, sorry. she didn't. I, she didn't confirm. So we're gonna we're gonna dive in. All right. So the yes, so, so the summary of the plots. All right. So the last wish details the flashbacks experienced by Geralt of recent events while he rests in a temple after being injured in a battle against the Striga. 
It is during this time that he gains the respect of the dwarven captain of the Prince of Elendar and experiences a prophetic vision of his bloody and violent future, something that, while startling those who also experience, causes the Witcher no apparent concern as he bids farewell to those in the temple who had sheltered him. Sword of Destiny serves as an introduction of the characters who will become major figures in the main storyline of the series, with the last short story within the book, Something More, serving as a direct prequel to The Witcher Saga, which I believe Green is claiming as her own. I am. I'm just I'm just going to keep That's doing fine. that. I'm That's fine. That's fine. You're fine. The, Witch, the Witcher Saga focus have, focuses heavily on Geralt and Ciri, who is recognized as a child of destiny. Ciri, the princess of a re- recently conquered country and an unwilling pawn of international politics, by the way, that's why I claim this, <laughs> becomes a Witcher in training, an action that pulls Geralt into the maelstrom of events as he attempts to protect her. It is during her training that Geralt notes abnormal behaviors in the younger girl, making him reach out to Triss, Triss for her assistance in determining the nature of the strange abilities. Triss recognizes Ciri as a source, noting to Geralt that she is not powerful enough to control the talent and that they need to seek the help of Yennefer. <laughs> Following this revelation, Yennefer and Ciri develop a relationship akin to that between mother and daughter, the older sorceress becoming the younger girl's mentor and teacher in the ways of magic. During this time, Geralt crosses paths with the mage, uh, Rience, who seeks Ciri for his own master. While Geralt thwarts Rience from finding Ciri, Yennefer and the young girl travel to the city of Gorsvelin, where through a series of events allow for Yennefer and Geralt to meet once again and patch up their relationship. It is here also that we see the first appearance of the Wild Hunt and Ciri's refusal to join. Uh, following this, the three find themselves in the midst of a coup within Thanid Island, following a reception in which the neutrality of the Witcher is tested repeatedly. The conflict between the mages boils over after Ciri prophesizes the assassination of the king of Rudania and the imin- imminent attack on the Nif- on Nifgard by that. that- name is always going to get me Nilfgaard by King Demavend of Adium Aderm during which Geralt is severely wounded this marks the breaking of the chapter of wizards an event which is followed shortly by a full out war erupting within Nifgaard King Demavend escapes to Redania while Aderm Rivia and Lyria soundly fall to Emir's grasp. King Foltest of Temeria forms a deal with Emir and avoids war on Temeria at the moment. In the meantime, a fake Ciri is presented to the Nifgardian Emperor and he publicly announces his plans to marry her, with the intent to appear as the rightful heir and king of Sintra. After the official presentation, the Emperor orders his secret and special forces to find the real Ciri. Just hang on real quick. Which, <laughs> so so to yeah. unpack that particular paragraph, because I know there's a lot. Politics. There's a lot that just happened. So this is yes. this is the coup at Thined, and I think it was 1267. With the and so this is the breaking of the chapter, the Brotherhood, all of that. This is also the formation of the Lodge. And we're getting introduced to a lot of names that got in, that got dropped there. <clears throat> this is um, very like the, the, all this stuff is very important in the game. 
it explains uh so real quick emir uh here is the emperor of nilfgaard uh and so ba- what happens is nilfgaard full out invades the northern kingdoms and takes over a number of the southern country or southern fiefdoms i guess if you want to call them that um the king of redania and king of erden basically managed to escape but adrian rivia and lyria are the country or the areas that fall to nilfgaard so nilfgaard now has a foothold in the northern kingdoms which is something that they have not yet been able to achieve so now they're a threat they're they're an imminent threat in order to kind of push back against the nilfgaard invasion full test of temeria which is a name that will become very important within the games full test actually comes forward and says hey look I'll make a deal with you. You know, we will give you this child of destiny uh, who is prophesized to do all this stuff if you will just, you know, peace. Like, just just peace out. Like, just stop. Um, and basically presents a fake Siri. Uh, and it, it's kind of like, I, I can't remember off the top of my head if both both sides know. And it's basically, hey, this is a placeholder. Um, but anyways, the Nilfgaardian basically takes the deal and goes forward to become, because Siri is also the, the actual child of the former queen. If I remember this correctly, I guess this is where politics starts getting really painful. So the queen of Sintra is her grandmother. Uh, Sintra is one of the realms that is being contested, and in order to have claim over Sintra, uh, the emperor needs Ciri to be his uh, wife. In order to do that, they need Ciri. Ciri is missing, though, because Ciri is now under the protection of Geralt. So in order to give the emperor Sintra, they fake Ciri, and that is where that whole nonsense kind of goes. Um, and then after the official presentation, that's where we see M here uh, ordering the special forces to find the real Siri. Okay, so meanwhile, the actual Siri had escaped the conflict through the use of a magical portal, something that put her in what an area called the Corinth Desert. After barely surviving the harsh environment through the help of a unicorn and her own powers, uh, though the latter left multiple scars and traumatized her to the point of promising to never use fire as a source of power because that is not her affinity, uh, the young girl is captured by bounty hunters. Escaping the mercenaries with the help of a small band of bandits known as the Rats, Siri grows to find a place among those who had also been abandoned to the harsh climate. It is here that she takes up the name of Falca, and we learn more of the prophecy revolving around her being a bearer of elder blood, the source of her great inner power, and the foretelling of her son being the herald of a new age, built upon the ashes of the old. During Ciri's adventures with the rats, Geralt is in the midst of his own trials, having been joined in his travels by Milva, an expert archer and huntress, and Dandelion. The trio head to Nilfgaard, searching for Ciri and crossing paths multiple times with Kahir, who is discovered to be the Black Rider plaguing Ciri's dreams. Eventually, the young Nilfgaardian joins the group, alongside the unlikely ally found within a vampire, Regis, 
who, despite usually being the prey of the Witchers, has actually become a good friend to the group. It is through his journey that Geralt is brought into the battle for the bridge on the Yagura, Yagura, where because of his pivotal part of securing victory for Queen Maeve, he is knighted and officially titled Geralt of Rivia. Ciri during this time has come to fully embrace her role as Falca within the Rats, experiencing killing on a regular basis and coming to a point where she becomes obsessed with it. This obsession, however, does not protect her from the machinations put into place for her capture, plans which brought about the destruction of her friends and lover. Unable to defeat the bounty hunter who is responsible, Ciri is captured and forced into fighting for her life in an arena for the entertainment of various nobles. Geralt, meanwhile, ignoring the warnings of an elven sage concerned with the prevention of the end of the world, continues the hunt for Ciri with the help of his allies, denouncing even his old title of Witcher in the process. Triss, separated from her friends, searches desperately for Yennefer while staying close to the questionable organization that has come to replace the chapter of the Wizards, the Lodge. After the revelation of the Lodge's plans to establish Cover as a nation sympathetic to magic, which would allow them to control it completely, Triss discovers that Yennefer is alive, although the older sorceress vanishes again into a storm chasing, chasing Vigaforts. Uh, Vilgaforts is a figure that we'll come back to in just a second. Siri finally manages to escape captivity, though she is heavily wounded in the fight, leaving her with a noticeable scar across her face. After a brief respite in, with Vis, Visigoda, an old philosopher living in the Paraplet Swamp, she continues on her journey, planning to exact her revenge and then to seek out the Tower of Swallows. Upon finding the Tower of Swallows, Siri finds that the portals located within allow her to jump between worlds and even time itself. And she journeys through various realms and times, encountering various figures who become both friends and foes. Following the assassination of the Elven King by Iridan, the King of the Wild Hunt, Ciri manages to escape Erin El, the homeworld of the Elves, with the help of the Unicorns, who had been captured by the Elves to allow them to access the portals across the worlds. Uh, basically, to clarify there, unicorns are described in the Witcher universe as multidimensional beings. It is them that it is the unicorns that allow the elves and pretty much everyone else, if they are able to teleport within worlds, uh, it's through the help or the assistance of a unicorn. Uh, so that's kind of where that, that comment is meant to go. In the desperate escape, Ciri finds herself in a place which allows her to aid Yennefer in the older sorceress's battle with, within Vilgaforce's castle, though in the attempt she herself becomes captured by the mage. Uh, she becomes captured by Vilgaforce. Shortly following this, Geralt and his allies arrive at the castle, storming the fortress, the party losing many of the members in the chaotic battle to save Yennefer and Ciri. After finding and freeing the two women, the battle turns into a hunt for Vilgefortz, resulting in Geralt finally managing to kill him. Following the death of Vilgefortz, the surviving trio make their way outside. As they reach the courtyard, they find the Emperor of Nilfgaard's men taking the castle and imprisoning everyone. The Emperor is revealed to be Ciri's father, who faked his death years ago. The Emperor turns to be a firm turns out to be a firm believer in a prophecy in which he must impregnate his own daughter and make her empress to ensure the safety of the world in the generations to come, uh, which is where we see the again reference to Ciri's special abilities and blood. 
After a long conversation with Emphir, the Emperor, Geralt understands the latter will issue him and Yennefer a death sentence as they are witnesses and now know sensitive information. Emphir grants Geralt and Yennefer the option to commit suicide in a bath instead on their own leisure as an act of goodwill, while Ciri is taken to the capital of Nilfgaard to be married to the Emperor. Geralt, without much of a choice, accepts, and Yennefer and Geralt take a bath together, preparing to die. When they ask the guards for the dagger to finally put an end to their lives, Ciri eventually enters the room, saying that the Emperor and his men left without a word. The three soon leave, with Ciri leading the way to all of the places during her adventures earlier in the story in order to take revenge or pay her respect to those who have both helped or hindered her during her journey. Yennefer is soon contacted by the Lodge of Sorceresses and is summoned to Monteclavo Castle along with Ciri. Having no choice, Yennefer accepts, departing from Geralt and Ciri and, and takes off, telling Geralt that she will have to summon Ciri as well in a few days um, as they have to solve this matter. Geralt and Ciri continue traveling, uh, taking uh, Geralt taking her to Toussaint, and they drive just in time to watch Dandelion, Dandelion being executed. Being saved by a last-moment whim of the Duchess Anna Henrietta, who decided to not execute him after all. Uh, this is later revealed to be because he was caught cheating on the Duchess and that the execution ceremony that Geralt and Ciri witnessed was not the first he was spared of, given the Duchess's flaky personality and frequent change of heart. The trio exits Toussaint in a hurry, afraid the Duchess will change her mind yet again, after which Ciri departs to Monteclavo while Geralt and Dandelin are headed, heading to Revia. Oh my gosh! So yes, as as we kind of mentioned in the intro session, Dandelin is uh, is a is a fun fun member of the party. So in the meantime, the Lodge meets Ciri for the first time, revealing their plans as they mean to marry her off to Prince Tancred of the Coverian Air. They make a point of telling her she's only meant to be his lover and bear his child, as they cannot guarantee marriage simply because she is no longer in possession of her birthright titles, notably the only heir of Sentry and Throne, as the Emperor of Nilfgaard married a young girl known in the series as Fake Ciri, thus making her the de facto ruler of Sentra and stripping the real Cerulea of any titles she had. Ciri, growing tired, or grown tired because of all these plots to marry her off, impregnate her, or just make plain use of her womb for a, quote, greater cause, agrees to think about it and to return to the lodge after she's decided. She then asks to go with Yennefer and meet Geralt and Revere as planned. The lodge votes half for and half against, with Philippia having the decisive vote in favor of letting Ciri go and see Geralt, arguing it's Ciri's destiny, thus tipping the scales. Uh, and so... Yes, and uh, Philippia is actually another individual who will come back up in the games as an important decision factor. Interesting. Yes, she, yeah, yeah. That's kind of a bittersweet decision that you have to make in Witcher 2. Interesting. During Geralt's time in Rivia, meeting with his old friends, Yarpin's uh, Zigrin and Zoltan Chevet, a riot erupts in which humans are killing non-humans indiscriminately. Geralt, in order to defend his dwarven friends he was in the pub with, enters a f- enters the fray and kills several individuals before being impaled on a pitch po- pitchfork. Ciri, Yennefer, and Triss um, arrive in Rivera 
shortly after the rioting starts, and they eventually find Geralt on the verge of death. Before doing so, the two sorceresses manage to conjure up a spell that causes a brief storm in which hail drops from the sky, dispersing the rioting mob. Yennefer, in an attempt to revive Geralt, dies herself. Uh, I, you're going to have to pr- pronounce this one. Which one? Iroquois, 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 the unicorn. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, just do what I normally do and make a nickname. Uh, Quacks. Let's go with Quacks. All the unicorn unicorn names are like... I don't want a unicorn name. Quacks. Quacks. Come on. Quacks, Quacks, the unicorn. Uh, Uh, Hear it? I, yeah. You go you go with whatever you want because I don't, I don't think he comes up anyway, again. The unicorn shortly appears and channels his power <laughs> through Siri to hear, heal Geralt and Yennefer. Siri then asks her friends to help her and puts the bodies of the two on a nearby boat. While Triss then uh Triss Oh gosh. Dandelion <laughs> That's what his name is gonna be now. And their dwarven friends say their goodbyes. Siri takes off into the lake, which erupts into a light, and the three disappear. Geralt and Yennefer awake in an unknown location, hinted to be the Isle of Avalon from the Arthurian legends, uh, comforting each other. The conclusion of the saga ends with Siri finishing her recounting of her tale to Sir Sir uh, Galahad, uh, the Arthurian legends. Really? He ties it all the way back, yep. all yep. the way this to is, that. This is, yeah, wow. no, this is this is a clever. So this is a. a right, I'll, I'll let you finish, and I'll make a comment on that. Okay. Yeah. So he, uh, Galahad of the Arthurian legends, who has been listening intently the entire time, Siri sarcastically <laughs> says that the end of ends the tale ends with Yennefer and Geralt getting married and that a celebration ensued between all the different dead and alive characters of the saga. Galahad eventually invites her to the court at Camelot, which she accepts. The saga ends with Ciri and Galahad riding side by side holding hands. Okay. So okay. you want to know the really funny thing about this whole thing? Mm-hmm. That entire situation, that entire conclusion is so Andre does a lot of the telling the story through recollection uh, or telling the story through the one of the characters. Well, he's either that or it's being told like the story is being told in the story. Like, you know, Geralt is telling a story to Siri or Siri is telling a story to Galahad. And through that telling, we are we are told the story. Uh, So this. This all takes place because of uh, Ciri's, in Ciri's attempt to escape the Wild Hunt, she actually manages to, this is a breaking of the fourth wall. Ciri actually, or yeah, kind of, Ciri actually comes into our world. So she is actually in our world at this point, and that's where she gets to Camelot. And this is all mentioned because there is a Easter egg in, I cannot remember which title it is. I want to say it's Witcher, but there is a conversation between Siri and Geralt where he basically flat out asks her where she's been. 
And she cut, she shot, shoots back with this comment about, oh, well, the place that I've been, you would not believe what they have. And like, she's basically explaining what's going on in our world. And he's like, you've been drinking too much. Like, it's just like this hilarious little conversation that they have. But that's where, that's where this whole thing is, is like, arguably, this is a scene in our world in which Siri is hiding from the wild hunt. She is continuously trying to stay one step ahead of the wild hunt, which we'll see when we get into the games as well, especially Witcher 3, which is, you know, titled Wild Hunt. Um, which in which is arguably the conclusion of at least Geralt's storyline. Um, so yeah, that's that's actually where yes, she, he actually does bring it full circle. Oh, The Witcher Three, yes, um, yeah, and so Wet and Chilla in chat. There's also the possibility that it is a cross reference to Cyberpunk 2077. Um, oh, what? Well, because CD Projekt Red owns both of them. So right, instead of right, instead right, of being but... across into reality, tri, uh, Tris, instead of being across into reality, Siri was actually Siri. Uh, she actually teleported into the the reality of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, uh, which would is there a character named Galahad there? Well, it's, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is a parody take on our own world. It's a future right. version, so right. it would be the same realm as us with. It, so yes basically in the historical of of that universe technically yes because it's it's built in the same it's built it 2077 is the future state of our world and witcher is kind of like a fantastical history or historical sense mm-hmm. but it's not our world like that's it's been it's made very right. clear but with the way that the tower of swallows is presented in the books and then also with the events that we're about to discuss in the witcher Multiverse is is a confirmed thing that is both canonically and non-canonically used often in the game. The teleportation devices that they use uh, can not just take them through space, like through like locations, but they can also transport them through time and even through a different plane. Uh, and that's been proven multiple times throughout the series. So yeah, that's that's why when you you messaged me the other day and like my I made the comment like my head it hurts because like I was like oh my this mm-hmm. this was the part of the summary that I was trying to like trying to boil down without losing like the details but trying not to make super confusing um because right. unicorn so there's like there's a whole massive side story of the unicorns versus the elves um and that's that's a very fat like that's a very interesting thing because basically the unicorns have been enslaved uh there's a massive battle going on between them and the red riders and the 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 elven the true elves uh there's a huge battle going on between them that siri kind of gets involved with that we didn't i didn't get a chance to put in here because it's not like in the big picture, it's not like super important, but it does explain a lot of what's going on with the teleportation capabilities. And it also explains the Tower of Swallows, which is both important, but not like it's it's not super important, um, but it is like it's weird. Like there's a lot of things that are kind of throwaway comments that get put in here that then later will come. Like there's a character that she meets during her her travels through the Swallow Tower 
that uh, will come back later in Witcher 3 and is actually very important. And we'll, we'll, we'll mention him when we get there. Um, but yeah, so uh, that all to be said, uh, we're going to jump a little bit forward in time into what is viewed again as technically the non-canonical saga, which is the video games, The Witcher. Now, what I do find interesting is so CD Projekt Red is the developer of the video games. So just to put it in uh, our timeline, The Witcher was released in 2007. Witcher 2, which is called uh, which is the Assassins of King or Assassins of Kings, uh, 2011, and then Witcher 3, which is the Wild Hunt, was actually 2015. Uh, it's held up remarkably well. Uh, the DLCs for Witcher 3 were released in 2015 and 2016. Those are the Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. Um, the DLCs I didn't go into a lot of detail on because really what they did was they they basically furthered the story of Geralt, or they didn't further the story of Geralt. They just basically added gameplay to the game. Uh, it's it's additional adventures of Geralt, but there's not. If I re, if I read those, if I read the diagnost or the summaries of them correctly, there wasn't significant development in the overarching story. It was mostly just ways of here's some more gameplay. It's like I think Hearts of Stone was an additional like ten hours, Blood and Wine was like additional twenty hours of gameplay. Um, I mean, it, they were they were not small amounts of gameplay. It was but from a story perspective, they weren't, uh, huge. Um, so yeah, uh, blood and wine is also notable because basically they take us back to Toussaint, Toussaint, uh, which is, which is the first time that in the game world, we actually get to see that place. It's been mentioned in the saga, uh, prior to that. Um, yeah, what which until in chat. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I read. Uh, they say Blood and Wine and Hearts of Stone had pretty good stories, uh, but and Blood of Wine did tie into the books again because of Toussaint, um, but they didn't tie into the air quote main story of Wild Hunt. So it, it's it's like they they had good stories. They are definitely worth if you're looking to play them. They are definitely worth playing. Um, it's just not gonna. It's for the purposes of this summary. It's not really prevalent um so witcher again witcher was actually brought or published in 2007 which was the first year that i want to say gosh what it is the last wish was translated into english so this was hitting hitting shelves roughly around the same time as the first book uh so that was that's just an interesting thing as well um all right so uh, the other thing notable in the game series is that every one of the games is conveniently broken apart into either chapters or acts. Uh, they are they keep kind of with that that feeling of a book, uh, even though they start deviating in paths based off the choices that the player makes. They do still follow that same overarching kind of chapter or act uh, setting, I guess. Um, so the first, the first game, The Witcher, uh, basically introduces us to kind of bringing us back, bringing us back into the world of The Witcher. Uh, what has happened since you know they went away? Well, 
The explanation is given that having hidden in another world, Camelot, for over half a year, the Wild Hunt has finally found Ciri, forcing her to flee from that world. During this time, Ciri discovered that Geralt had been captured by the Wild Hunt and managed to free him and send him to the forest outside of Caer Morhen, although he lost his memory in the process. Quick aside, Caer Morhen is the fortress of the School of the Wolf, which is the school, the Witcher school, that Geralt was trained at. With the initial title, the player is introduced to the world primarily through Geralt, also known as the White Wolf, who at the beginning of the game suffers from amnesia. He gradually learns that he was a very renowned witcher and that he had friends and enemies almost everywhere who remember him, but whom he does not remember. In the initial title, the player is given the choice of three paths to follow. The the Skoatil path, uh, which is basically to choose with allying with predominantly non-human, which is seen in the elves. Uh, Skoatil is elvish for squirrels which is, I find that hilarious, and that's because they are rebellion fighters who have a tendency to attach the uh, squirrel tails to their uniforms. Elves are weird. Uh, you, The next choice is the Order Path, which is basically to choose to ally with the Order of the Flaming Rose and take up the mission to protect the citizens of Temeria. Uh, these, these individuals tend to be very anti-non-human uh, and are... This, the cause or the catalyst of some of the more notable, no, notorious pogroms in the in the game series. Um, so not necessarily the best choice. Uh, and then the final choice is the Witcher path or the neutral path. This path actually follows most in line with the character of Geralt from the books. Uh, and that is because the player chooses to maintain the what's known as Witcher neutrality and side with neither side. Uh, a choice that only the closest of his friends will understand or even agree with. So most people actually the neutral path is while it is most canonically correct is also one of the more difficult paths because it basically kind of puts you at odds with all people instead of, you know, allying with one side over the other. That brings us into the prologue of the game. Uh, and that prologue, it basically, it starts in the citadel of Karamoran, where Geralt encounters a bandit attack led by a mysterious mage and a figure known as the Professor. Through the course of the quest within this section, it is learned that these men are part of the Salamandra, a criminal organization, and are after potions and equipment that has specifically designed to augment those who seek to become witchers. What they need these items for is, at this time, unknown. The chapter ends with the two men in possession of the potions and equipment teleporting away, leaving the remaining witchers to split up in order to determine where the salamandra are up or what the salamandra are up to. Which brings us into chapter one, which introduces us to the area of the outskirts of Visima. Geralt, hot on the trail of the Salamandra bandits, learns of a monster terrifying the villagers in the outskirts of Visima. After reuniting with some old friends and reconnecting with locals, he learns more about the fate of Berengar, a fellow witcher of his. The chapter concludes with Geralt managing to make his way into Visima proper through the Miller's Gate, though the means were not necessarily his first choice. So in chapter two, we learn that the reason why they were not his first choice was that he was ambushed by the city guard and dragged through the Miller's Gate, Uh, which means that in the game within chapter two, Geralt can no longer pass back into the outskirts of Visma. Effectively, he is trapped within the temple quarter. 
This, however, does give him the opportunity to search for information on not only who is after him, but also what the Salamandra is trying to accomplish, bringing him into the trade quarter of Isma in Chapter 3 of the game. In the search for information on the Salamandra, Geralt finds himself investigating the powers of Alvin, a child whom he rescued in Chapter 1. We also experience an increase in Skoatel activity, with the elves becoming more bold in their attempts to push out the humans. At the conclusion of this chapter, Geralt finally locates the Salamandra's base of operations, leading to a final showdown between the Witcher and Professor. Following the defeat of the Professor, Geralt falls into the lair of a Kikimore, where he learns that the Princess supported the criminal Salamandra, giving him the next step to pursue. Upon exiting the Kikimor's lair after defeating it, he is ambushed by the princess, but is saved by Triss, who teleports him away to the lakeside. So that's one of those comments that I made about Triss way earlier. That's This is the one of the instances that she actually comes in handy with that teleportation ability. So in Chapter 4, we are now in a completely new area of Temeria. Uh, Geralt finds that most of the people he knew are now out of reach, save for, drumroll, Dendalion and Alvin. It is here that he is challenged with a resolve, or with resolving a conflict between humans and Vodianoi of the village of Murky Waters, a challenge that brings him in contact again with Alvin. Although the steps towards resolution of the conflict, Geralt is also reunited with Binagar and is ultimately pitted against the figure of Dagon which is actually a name that people of Elder Scrolls might recognize. After killing the minor deity, Geralt is rewarded with the silver sword, Arendite. Armed now with Arendite and the knowledge that Salamandra is searching for Alvin, Geralt pursues the fleeing child, who, out of fear, had teleported himself away in the midst of a battle between the Order of the Flaming Rose and the villagers of Murky Waters. Fearing for the child's safety, Geralt and Dandelion head back towards Vizimus to search for Alvin, hoping to arrive in time. Uh, this is also where you start getting a little bit... Well, no, you don't get that. You Oh, this is where you start noticing the Order of the Flaming Roses maybe not being necessarily the super good guys that they claim to be. So... Then and so they're 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 trying to find Alvin, who is this who is a child that has kind of got this weird tendency to keep showing up in the game around Geralt. Uh, which brings us to chapter five, uh, back to back in old Visima. Geralt and Dandelion, upon returning to Visima, find that the conflict between the Order of the Flaming Rose and Squatel in murky waters has spread beyond the initial infliction point. Visima now burns. As the conflict continues to take more and more casualties, Geralt learns that Princess Ada is in the midst of a relapse of her Striga curse. So when I mentioned the Netflix series being kind of a callback to also an, a monster that we see in game, this is this is the same kind of creature. Not necessarily the same creature, but a similar creature. In exchange for the Witcher's help, Ada's father, King Foltest, reveals what he knows about the Salamandra hideout and the location of the mage, Azar Javed. So the mysterious mage from Chapter 1 is Azar Javed. Following the resolution of the Striga situation, uh, which is a choice whether to save or kill the princess, uh, Geralt proceeds to move in towards his final target, Azar Javed and the Salamandra. At the end of the battle, however, the Witcher is startled to learn that there is yet one more layer to the problem before him. The mastermind of this mess is actually Jacques de Aldersberg, known as the Grand Master. 
and this enters us into the epilogue of the first game. Following the news of the Lifted Cursed and the truth of what Salamandra and the Grandmaster were truly after, King Foltest and King Ravidid of Redonia come together in alliance. Together, the two kings sing their ar- send their armies to attack the Order of the Flaming Rose and grant the Witcher permission to eradicate the threat of the Grandmaster and any supporters of his. When the Witcher finally steps before the Grandmaster, it is revealed that the man has done everything he has done in order to save humanity from Ilthing's prophecy of the Great White Frost, the fear of which plagued Jocks all his life by visions of what would happen if no one did anything. This led him to create the Greater Brothers, mutants with the powers of a Witcher, but not the sentimentality. These mutants would shepherd believers on an exodus to the south, thereby saving them from dire predictions. Geralt remarks at that point that every megalomaniac speaks of a higher purpose, and with the help of his friends he has made during the course of the story, Geralt makes it through the Grandmaster's vision and ends his plans. Geralt is here presented with one final choice of what to do with the Grandmaster's soul. It is requested by the King of the Wild Hunt. Either way, whether he is whether he gives the soul gives the Grandmaster to the King of the Wild Hunt or kills him himself, the fate of the Grandmaster is sealed. And it's not until much later, actually in Witcher 3, that we learn of the true identity and the conclusion to the story of the child of Alvin, a child who, out of fear, jumped not through space but through time, and would become a man obsessed with his hatred of non humans, Jacques de Aldersburg. So that's the ending of the title. And then in the end cutscene, we see final following the final confrontation upon the ice plains, which is the vision of the Grandmaster, Geralt is seen headed to accept his reward for dispatching the Grandmaster. As the White Wolf nears the palace doors, however, he notices the corpses of the guards. Drawing his sword, Geralt rushes for the king's study, finding Foltest under the attack by a lone assassin. A fight ensues between the Witcher and the Unknown Assailant, in which Geralt manages to sever the would-be murderer's arm. Upon unmasking the man, the room is met with an unfamiliar face, but very familiar eyes. Witcher's eyes. Dun-dun-dun. I'm surprised surprised you didn't do the dun-dun-dun at the child of Alvin. I mean, I didn't want to oversell (laughs) it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh man. So that's that's Witcher 1. And I mean like I said Witcher 1 is pretty I mean it's pretty straightforward. There's there's choices that you can make that kind of change the flavor of the events like like right. the the fate of Ada for or Ada for one thing that does um you you can if you save Ada you are rewarded with a new sword. If you don't save her, you don't get the sword, but it doesn't actually change what happens um, because the presentation of the quest is basically end the curse. Don't let her suffer. And that's, that's like, and the, and the King Foltest actually kind of gives Geralt the permission that if, if death is what is needed to end this curse, then that is what is needed. Like that's kind of the, the mentality. So it doesn't really change the conclusion. Uh, we see the the actual like impacts of choices really kind of start taking place in Witcher Two. Witcher Two is where it actually like you actually get multiple endings based off the choices you make. Witcher Two is also, in my opinion, the more 
political. Yes. And that's largely that's far. largely because of the Kingslayer. Right. Uh, which is where we are introduced to the so you you made the comment about the neutrality. Uh, that is also the right. difference between the schools of the witchers. Uh, there is different philosophies on what that exactly means. And uh, the Kingslayer, who is also a witcher, uh, but he is a witcher from the school of the Viper, not the school of the Wolf. Or the Cat or the Griffin, I believe, or the other, the other three that we had known. Mm-hmm. The school Correct. of the Viper is introduced in the game world um, as an explanation for the Kingslayer's training and where he comes from in his his kind of philosophy of what's going on. Uh, which I might be getting, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit on that one, but um, that that's a big thing that gets revealed in Witcher 2 is that not all Witchers are technically going to fall into the line of believing fully in this concept of Witcher neutrality. That's That seems to maybe be a philosophy that's taught on a school-by-school basis, uh, art kind of. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so Witcher 2 uh, is basically, it's set immediately after the conclusion of the ending cinematic of the first title. Uh, as kind of like a development note, the plot here is noted as being designed much less linear than the first. Uh, it features concurrent plot lines, which each of which leads to multiple endings. Uh, two of the primary plot lines there is the actual, what's referred to as like the actual assassination of kings, uh, which is the you know, obviously the main quest. And then also, concurrently, Geralt's recovery of his lost memories. So, you know, remembering Yennefer, uh, remembering information about the Wild Hunt. So, basically, he's starting to remember things that the teleportation that saved his life at the beginning of Witcher 1 uh, kind of cost him. Um, essentially, it's it's kind of started off, essentially, Geralt has been drafted as King Foltest's personal bodyguard. And which results in him being drawn into the battle between the king and his mistress, the Baroness. Scary. Excuse me. Uh, the king and his mistress, the Baroness Mary Luisa Len La Valette. Uh, there are a number of choices of importance that will actually be referenced in Witcher 3, uh, because Witcher 3 will use these choices as uh, building blocks to construct the world that you experience it. Uh, based off the answers that so like in the beginning of Witcher 3 you're asked questions given your answers on those questions it constructs different events within the game world to reflect those choices that you were supposed you supposedly made in Witcher 2 Uh, those choices are mostly around if you kill or spare people um, though it also does take into account who you follow and if you there's a point at which you can choose to save Triss or another character, um, or rescue Triss and another character, and if you chose to rescue Triss or chose to rescue the other character, that also gets uh, brought over. Um, in summary, the world has seen a number of kings in the Northern Kingdoms assassinated as part of a Nilfgaardian plot to destabilize the region in preparation for another invasion. In addition, sorceresses are moving to destabilize the political power in order to build an organization operating above both kings and the rule of men's laws. So, basically, the Lodge. Um, So, yep. uh, So, prologue of Witcher 2, which I kind of lovingly called the Witcher in Chains. I I mean, it's the Skyrim opening, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, without the dragon. Really? Well, yeah, it's the... I really like that, it's though, just, yeah. It's, it is kind of the Skyrim opening. Or the, yeah, just the, the Elder Scrolls, Bethesda yeah, the Bethesda, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the you're in a prison. Um, <clears throat> so Geralt is basically found in chains within the Lovelet dungeon, uh, and it's the reason is is he's accused of killing King Foltest. So dragged before a character known as Vernon Roach, the Witcher is forced to recount the events. Which again, I find that hilarious that we again are being told the story through the telling of a story. Uh, the Witcher is forced to recount the events leading up to the king's death and his own incarceration in order to convince the leader of the Temerian Special Forces, the Blue Stripes, of his innocence. As part of this interrogation, Geralt recalls the storming of Lavalette Castle with Foltis men, presenting the Witcher with the choice of how to deal with the son of the former king's mistress, Aaron Lavalette. Uh, this is the first choice that will be um, called back in Witcher 3, though we're still not sure really what that does that's one of the few choices that gets called back that no one really knows why that is a big deal um the choice determines if Arryn or his mother is encountered in the dungeon by Geralt uh following the successful siege and being reunited with his children who uh so Foltus had two children with uh Mary Mary god man I just blanked on her. Mary Louisa uh two of her younger children not Aaron but two other children were uh they basically were being separated from his father and it seems like that might be the reason one of the reasons that he was having such a lover's spat if you will uh so following the successful siege and being reunited with his children the king is assassinated his killer managing to escape Geralt leaving the witcher in the chamber uh with the murdered king to be framed Rutch believes the Witcher, agreeing to help him hunt down the assassin, leading to the group of Rotch, Geralt, and Triss embarking on a journey up the Pontar River, which leads us into Chapter 1, which is events in Floatsam. Accompanied by Roach and Triss, Geralt arrives in Floatsam, where the Witcher will come to learn the identity of his prey, Letho of Gullet, the Kingslayer. On the outskirts of the town, however, the three are ambushed by familiar elven commandos, the Scoatil, led by Iorveth, managing to escape into the town thanks to Triss's magic. So Triss basically manages to summon a shield that allows them to escape uh, mostly unharmed. It does take a toll on Triss that you have to deal with uh, in the in the chapter. Uh, within Floatsam, the group finds Dandelin and Zoltan on the scaffold, about to be hanged, which is a very common situation for the two of them, uh, prompting the Witcher to negotiate the release with the local commandant, Brinder, Brinard Loredo. In order to proceed, the group is required to deal with a Karen who is menacing the port, meeting in the process the sorceress sailed to Tansarvel. Following the Karen's defeat, Triss is kidnapped by Letho, forcing Geralt to choose the journey on with either Rutch or Ireveth as a companion. This is, within Witcher 2, the most important decision point for Geralt, as it will determine the path that the remainder of the game will travel. Uh, this is also the second choice that will get called back in Witcher 3. Uh, so basically, at this point, the split is, if you follow Roach in the Blue Stripes, you will fight alongside a character known as King Hinslet, which is another king in the Northern Kingdoms, and be ultimately faced with the choice whether to save Henslelt or allow Roach to kill him. If you follow Ivoreth and the Soak Katil, 
You fight alongside the rebellion leader Saskia, who you will come to find is a dragon disguised as a human, and ultimately be faced with the choice to either kill or spare her. So the big, big choice points at that point. Uh, and that brings us into chapter two, which is the Battle of Erden. So if you, uh, regardless of who you follow, you, you arrive at Erden. Geralt arrives in time for a battle between King Hinsult's troops and the dwarven city of Vergen. Choice here is then given to be either siding with the dwarven city or Hinsult's forces. Uh, within the city, Geralt has the opportunity to meet with either the sorceress Philippa Elhart or the druid Deathmold. So remember, Philippa was mentioned way back in the book series as the may or the sorceress who broke the tie to allow Ciri to walk out of the lodge. In order to proceed, Geralt must find a way to lift the cur- lift a curse which had been cast three years prior on a battlefield. In addition, he finds news of Triss, but is unable to rescue her. In pursuit of the Nilfgaardians who hold Triss prisoner, he sets off to Loch Muin. Uh, this brings us into chapter three, the final, where all the final choices of the game kind of co- coalesce into a final presentation. Um, and we are finally, we, we see in the final segment of the game, the revolution around the establishment of a new magical ruling body known as the Conclave, where leaders and mages have come together to decide on the path of the Northern Kingdoms in the absence of King Foltest and Dimavend, uh, and possibly uh, Henselt. Uh, depending on your choices previous. Uh, the Conclave is going to be basically a new governing body for mages that will help uh, establish laws and rules for magical uh, creatures and human or magical creatures and the mages and sorcerers. Um, and that's the kind of the end point. It's, it's going to be separate. It's going to be basically the culmination of what the lodge has been working towards. However, this meeting uh, is broken apart upon the arrival of Saskia, who is under a spell of Philippa and is in her dragon form. So she's being mind controlled at this point. During the attack, Geralt encounters Seal de, Seal de Tanserville, who is looking to escape via a teleportation device that is unknown to her, broken. Geralt knows this and is given the choice whether to inform her and thus saving her life or stay silent and allow her to attempt to escape, basically guaranteeing that she will be torn apart and killed. Uh, That choice also is an important choice that is referred back to in Witcher 3. Um, So, yeah, so so basically your, your choice on whether to save Syl. Uh, the choice of to whether to kill the dragon or not is also flavored with the determination if Philippa is freed. So earlier, you have a choice when you first arrive, or when you first arrive in chapter three, you have a choice to rescue Triss, or you have the option to rescue another character. And this other character is based on who you're following at the time. If you followed Iavreth, uh, I, Iavreth. Um, and the Scotil, you are given the option to save Philippa Elhart from the Nilfgaardians. If you were following Roch, you have the choice to uh, rescue Anais Lavellet from the Calduinians. Calduinians. Um, Anais is the sole surviving uh, child of Foltest. The, her brother had been killed earlier off screen, and she is the surviving I guess, heir technically to the, the King Foltest. If you saved Philippa, 
after the defeat of the dragon, you are given the choice to either kill the dragon or let her go. If you had freed Philippa, if you had followed Iavrath, you also have the option to uh, free Saskia from the mind control. Uh, so basically, there's a third option if the previous option had been chosen. This is getting really fun. Um, after all of this, Geralt finds himself in a final duel with Letho, the Kingslayer. Uh, and that kind of brings us into the epilogue, thankfully. Um, so it is here that all these different paths start kind of having a f- uh, the effects are starting to be seen. So if Triss was rescued, the Conclave is restored and mages work to seal Lachmuen, um away. However, if you did not rescue Triss, if Triss is not rescued, a pogrom of magic users washes over the Northern Kingdoms. Geralt is finally able to confront Letho, who reveals the Nilfgaardian plot to destabilize Northern Kingdoms through the assassinations of various kings. Following this revelation, the Witcher is presented with the choice to release the Kingslayer or kill him in a duel. Following this final choice, Geralt re- reunites with Triss and Ivoreth or Roch, setting out for the south. The post credit scene here shows a peasant who is out gathering wood, witnessing the beginning of the Nilfgaardian invasion of the Northern Kingdoms. Uh, so really the big choice effect there is if you um, rescued Triss. Triss. Triss will survive regardless of the choice to rescue her or the other character. However, if you choose to rescue Triss, what happens is the Conclave is able to seal Lachman and prevent the pogrom or the genocide of magic users. If you did not rescue Trish, uh, let's say you rescued Philippa, and then you were able to save Saskia the dragon, the conclave is not able to be restored, and a pogrom washes over the kingdoms. And then that's when you also then get given the choice of whether or not to release the Kingslayer or kill him. Uh, that final choice is the last of the important choices that is referenced in Witcher 3 to start the campaign there. Clear as mud? It's actually not too bad after playing games like Fabled and whatnot, though Fabled's decision-making is more coloration on the perceptions of the characters. That's true, yeah. Whereas this is actual changes. It's a choose your own adventure mm-hmm. or choose your own story type thing. If you pick A, go yeah. to C yeah. or pick go to D type thing. That's yeah, that's that's really it's, it is kind of a really good explanation of Witcher Two. Um uh, Witcher Three is is really very similar. Um but it's a little bit it's it's more complex, but it's a little bit simpler as well and a weird thing uh, because Witcher 3 basically is the culmination of this whole story. It's, well, it's more straightforward because you don't have less, it's, I want to say less politics. I know there's still politics mm-hmm. involved with it, but it's also, there's it's not as complex. Yeah, there's less players because everyone's dead. Yes. <laughs> To be to be Pretty blunt, um, so Witcher Three kind of again kind of starts pretty close to the f- ending of Witcher Two, um, and Witcher Three is basically the Empire of Nilfgaard has struck, uh, and it basically has ravaged the Northern Kingdoms, 
um, leaving the pretty much the known world in chaos to the characters that we we encounter here. Uh, those in power before are no longer among the living, and no one is certain of what the future holds. Uh, and yet, even in the face of all this, even in all this death and destruction, a darker and deadlier force is emerging. And that is because the wild hunt is set to ride again. And this time, they are in search of one person in particular. Normally, they kind of just ride hunting those that they kind of come across. But this time, they actually have their sights set on one person. And that person is Siri. Um, and so in the prologue, I kind of refer to this as the setting of the stage. We are introduced to a new character, newish character, Vesemir. Uh, Vesemir is actually Geralt's mentor. He is the witcher who trained Geralt. Uh, so opening, uh, Geralt and Vesemir are on the trail of the, f- uh, figure of Yennefer who is fleeing an unknown. We don't know why she's running, but she's running from something. Uh, which leads the two witchers into White Orchard. It is here after they dispatch a griffin that the two are able to catch up with Yennefer, who delivers a summons from the Emperor of Nilfgaard, Imfir Var Emrys, to Geralt. While Geralt and Yennefer set out to Visima, Vesemir says nope and returns to Care Morhen, where he basically says he'll be more used there. Uh, however, on the journey to uh, Visima, Geralt and Yennefer are attacked by the hounds of the wild hunt and manage to, they manage to survive. They manage to get away without being injured. Uh, and they arrive at Visma where the emperor enlists Geralt's aid of finding Ciri. Uh, he agrees after learning that it is Ciri who is being hunted by the wild hunt and plans on meeting up with Triss and Velen, which is also known as no man's land while Yennefer departs to investigate a incident in Skelliage. And this brings us into act one uh so this is the act one pretty much takes place in velen or no man's land so upon arrival in the small village of heatherton located within velen geralt finds his expected contact dead and signs of something evil having destroyed the area from the notes he is able to gather from the the contact he is he gains a couple leads on his certain to help for his search in siri uh, giving him the option of two two paths, really, to choose. Uh, the first clue leads him to speak with Philip Stringer, the de facto ruler of Velen, who is nicknamed the Bloody Baron. Following this path leads Geralt into a series of difficult choices formed by the stresses of alcoholism, infidelity, abuse, and the overarching state of war in exchange for the Baron's information on where Ciri might have gone. So basically, it's not a pretty picture. The second clue leads uh, to Geralt learning of a quarrel between a woman that fits Ciri's description and a witch, which, unhelpfully in Velen, could just mean anything in the suspicious day or suspicious eyes of everyday people. To the people of Velen, a witch could be anything from a local healer to powerful sorceresses, meaning that Geralt doesn't really have much at this point. However, in searching through the clues, he finds himself on the doorstep of an old friend and surprise off the off-on lover, Kira Metz. Teaming up, the two set out to locate an elven mage who Kira believes might have been helping Ciri. However, they arrive at their destination too late. The Wild Hunt, also in pursuit of Ciri, discover the mage's hideout, and the resulting battle leaves little information pertaining to Ciri's location. However, upon leaving, Kira points Geralt in the direction of Crookback Bog and the trio of crones who reside there, noting that they might have been the witches Ciri was said to have quarreled with. 
This creates an interesting tie-in with the first clue, the paths converging and overshadowed by a struggle between the powerful crones and an unknown spirit. Upon resolution of the conflict, the crones reveal that they had captured Ciri for the wild hunt before she escaped and have enslaved Anna, the Baron's missing wife. Geralt returns to the Baron, who tells him that Ciri went to Novigrad. Excuse me. Upon the completion of his investigation, Geralt continues on to Novigrad, relying on the memories of the Bloody Baron, where Ciri again made mention of riding there from shelter from the wild hunt that pursued her. In Novigrad, Geralt discovers that the Church of the Eternal Fire, a militant religious group, is purging mages. Meeting Triss, Geralt learns that Ciri had contacted his friend Dandelion. In navigating Novigrad's criminal underworld to rescue Dandelion, Geralt then learns that Ciri teleported to the Sketchliad's Arch... Archipelago. God, man. I'm... Archipelago. Yep, that one. Yep, yep. Yay! I'm not alone! Archipelago. There uh, we go. I, the the standing it. point is Dandelion needs to be rescued yet again. Um, he sails to Skeletage and rejoins Yennefer, who has been investigating a magical explosion linked to Ciri, uh, which leads them to track Ciri to the island of Lofenten, which has been attacked by the Wild Hunt. Geralt and Yennefer realize that Uma, a deformed cursed creature at Crow's Perch, which was where the Bloody Baron was, was present after Ciri's escape. Before leaving Skelliage, Geralt can help determine who will rule Skelliage after the king's death. It is here that Yennefer severs the magical bond between her and Geralt, giving him the option to affirm his love for her or end the relationship for good. So, uh, when you mentioned that about Yennefer, this is actually... uh, a choice in Witcher 3 that will finally give you the option to kind of really determine whether or not she is his soulmate. Uh, That brings us to Act 2. Geralt and Yennefer bring Uma to the Witcher school of Kaer Morhen, or the school of the wolf, where Yennefer removes his curse and transforms him into Avalech. He reveals that he teleported Ciri to the Isle of Mist to save her from the Lofoten attack. Traveling to the island, Geralt finds Ciri in a death-like state until she is awakened by Avalach's magic. She says that Aridens, who is the king of the Wild Hunt, homeworld is being destroyed by the White Frost, and he wants Ciri's powers to conquer the continent. Pursued by the Wild Hunt, Ciri and Geralt teleport to Kaer Morhen. After a brief reunion with Yennefer, Triss, and Vesemir, the hunt attacks. Vesemir is killed protecting Ciri, who, in her distress, unleashes her elder power, driving back Aridin in the hunt. Following the narrow victory, the group conducts a funeral for Vesemir before moving forward with their journey. Ciri and Geralt travel to Novigrad to help Triss and Yennefer reform the Lodge of Sorceresses and to aid in their fight. And that brings us to Act 3, which is where everything that has been sown is now reaped. It is here that the group learns of the Sunstone, a relic that can be used to lure Aridin out of hiding and bind him. On the Skelligan island of Undvik, Alevich uses the Sunstone to draw out the hunt and their fleet. Geralt, Ciri, and their allies and the Nifgardian fleet battle the hunt, and Geralt defeats Aridin in combat at last. As the White Frost descends on Skelliage, Ciri insists that she must confront it with her elder blood before it consumes all life on every world. She enters a portal and defeats the White Frost, ending the threat. And this is where we see a variety of endings based off not just choices, but also the effects of those choices. If Ciri is alive, Geralt can choose to retire with Yennefer or Triss, or remain a lone witcher. 
if Geralt helps Nilfgaard win the war and brings Ciri back to the Emperor, Ciri becomes Empress. If Ciri is alive but does not meet with the Emperor, Geralt fakes Ciri's death, allowing her to become a Witcher. If Ciri dies in the battle against the White Frost, Geralt is last seen hunting down her stolen medallion, recovering it while surrounded by monsters. His fate is unknown. Uh, and the reason why he wants the medallion is for uh, memory. Is just the uh, uh, keepsake. Yeah, man. A mento. mento, yeah. Whew. Yes. And that's only the main that's, plot. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was the main plot. And like, um, I know, I'm trying to think, I know there was a, pre- a big question in chat about um, the <laughs> chat about the medallions uh being you know the importance of the medallions the medallions are really just meant to be a focal uh a focus uh they are a yeah 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 it's it's like a bowling yeah again if you think of it as a D sorcerer it's the focus it's what they use to focus their powers it's uh, a lot of magic magic shamanistic magic especially is used through that um uh Geralt actually goes through three of them, uh, and the only one of like dire importance to him was actually his first one, and that's because he viewed it as a uh, memento of him being an actual witcher. It was a very big point in his life. Um, he actually burns them up, like he uh, he in various battles, like the battle with uh, Vila, uh, Villagafraud. I think oh God, I just blanked on the guy's name but during the coup um vilgaforts vilgaforts uh he he actually has i think that's his second medallion um he has it infused with additional power and he uses that to give him an edge against the the mage and allow it allows him to kill him uh so but in the process it destroys the the focus and so there's like there's various points in which he does stuff like that that destroys him and then he has to get a new one um but they're not like they're not tied like a a witcher doesn't need a specific medallion it just they just have medallions um there is a bit of debate on what the netflix series is going to show as far as the medallion because technically speaking the medallion that you see in the games is not the medallion that is referenced in the books uh the books tend to describe it as a wolf head on a on a pendant whereas in the games you kind of have that very very distinct just solo wolf head that's very you know angular and very sharp um that's not technically where it is um but i think that was really that was really the big one of the big conversations that i remember having in chat um let me see if i can grab it real quick yeah so in the books geralt actually has gone through a few of them uh the first one was destroyed the second one was used up in the battle against vilgaforts and the current iteration is the one given to him by siri after her defeating a bonhart uh which was in the latter parts of the book um and so Geralt at least can use any medallion so and because he's the one that we experience the world through it's kind of assumed that any witcher can though it is also called out that Geralt is a special uh witcher um but Geralt was actually 
he's he's able to use any of the medall- any medallions. Uh, the only one that he had any sentimental value to was the first one, due to it being his being an icon of his being a quote real Witcher. Um, from the initial short story, it's described as uh, a round medallion on a silver chain. It pictured the head of a wolf bearing its fangs. Uh, and it is noted that within one of the other one of the later short stories, The Lady of the Lake, we do get a description that is much closer to the images seen in the game. So even the medallions themselves seem to kind of change based on the Witcher or who is making it for the Witcher. Um, yeah, that was really the because I don't know. I don't know if we see the medallion in the, the teaser that's been released just yet. I don't think so. I didn't see anybody mention that. Not yet, at least. So yeah, my voice is gone. Yeah, it does. Well, okay. Going through the entire plot. Now, this is... This is one of the things that I want to have our listeners kind of feedback, give us feedback on this. Because Extra Lore tends to be its own huge divulge and dive into the stories of especially since we're doing franchises not necessarily just single game standalone type things um do you enjoy listening to the full story the full plot of the main stories and whatnot is that something that you guys look forward to what do you guys like the world building the descriptions of the characters and the monsters and the the geography of the area that's something i think we should kind of put out to you guys and see what you guys's thoughts are on the matter but i know your your voice is a little tired going through the plot i don't think is a bad oh no idea. no no i i think i think what you're what you're stretch. saying is uh is only helpful to us though too right because it would help right if you guys want more about the world building, believe me, I will dive into world building. Green will not be able to shut me up. I love world building concepts. Like that's one of my huge things. Um, like plot. I mean, eh, like it's fun. It's fun for me to kind of like try to tease out stuff. Uh, it got with Witcher. It it's tough, right? Because it depends on, and I think that's what Chat's saying too. It's like from franchise to franchise, it really depends. Like if we're talking, if we're talking oh, like sure. Mortal Kombat, I mean, there's a lot to be there. Uh, there's definitely a lot, but it's not like conv- The thing is, is like with series like Witcher, uh, series like uh, Elder Scrolls, uh, and all that. When you, it's the, what I refer to as the double edged blade. Uh, they're really fun games to play because your choices ch- like change the world. Like they actually change the game. It's a pain and a half yes. to kind of summarize because your choices change the world. So I can't like, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the, like as not, well, I feel like, especially aspects. as you like get into series of those games, like it, it feels like you're, you know, you're doing a disservice to those who chose to do maybe not the the norm, which which all all you know in full disclosure, I'm one of them. I'm one of the people who like with Oblivion and with Skyrim. I was like, oh, I get to choose now. I'm off. Like I just deviate as soon as I can to side quests. Oh yeah. Um, so like I'm I'm right there with you, did. and like 
I feel like it does a disservice if we don't discuss because a lot of those side quests are really fun. Like Witcher, there's a lot of stories right. like where you get or they're called trophy quests that I didn't get to talk about. And like the trophy quests are really mm-hmm. cool. You get to learn a lot about like the various monsters, the bestiary. Like there there's just really fascinating world building aspects. Um and then yeah, and like chat's talking right now, then we also have the the sometimes contentious conflict of the medias in this arc, like Witcher, especially there's, there's a very weird tension between books and the, the video games, uh, because of the, the legal conflict there. Um, there's, there's like, so like there, and it's like, okay, so which one is canonical? Which one do we try to, to ascribe to, you know, uh, like I mean, like I see pros and cons right. on both sides of that. So yeah, I mean, like I think if I could be, if I could be told, hey, focus on this aspect, like whether it's you know for games with really deep deep plots, let's talk about just the world building aspect. Like that's the predominant what we care about. Or I want to know about the characters. Like what what it, what are the characters? What are their relationships with each other? Like how does their stories? Yeah. The commentary, like commentary on on stuff, like there's a there's a vast thing that's untapped right there too. I mean, Witcher Witcher has a huge undertone commentary on the dangers of stereotyping, uh, the dangers of uh, judging things based off other, like just judging based off you know stereotypes. It's like especially Witcher three. There's a huge underlying tone about that one. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, but, and and the other thing too is like we can also if if this is something that you guys really want, I'm also more than happy to take notes and try to translate them into blog posts for the website. I mean, you know, if there if there's a particular thing that you guys want us to do, but you know, we might not have time to do in a podcast, we can talk about that as well. Okay. I know there's a lot of people who would be willing to help, kind of put bullet points and you know guide a summary for that for for the titles that they enjoy i i know that so again i i think that's i think green you're you're on to a great idea for that particular piece of feedback mm-hmm. which is normal don't don't oversell me but uh yeah i think that's that's good it's one of those things like there's so much information we could honestly do an episode on each game itself oh yeah without yeah oh yeah without question and it's so much information and i know it's a lot to go through and just digest getting through everything and so maybe i don't know what the answer is as far as presenting it in a way that you guys are going to get everything as well as be able to digest it in a way that is easily easily formatted mm-hmm. let us know this is again this is kind of our our new format for things i wasn't quite sure if we were going to try it with the extra lore i'm glad we're giving it a shot that way next week's going to go a little easier for the normal destiny shows but let us know what your guys's thoughts are on it please i know that uh, advanced one will not come out until um friday next week so i won't be able to hear from you guys before we record the next show, well but, but we'll be please let us know what you guys yeah think. and we'll be able to we'll be hearing it before the next extra lore at least 
Oh, yeah, for sure. So. Whew. All right. So uh, do you have any additional shout outs that we haven't already done? Or is that kind of a good good place to say bye? I think that's a good place to kind of wrap it up. Yennefer's the best. <laughs> Fight me on it. Change my mind. I mean, Tris has the red hair. That's the only thing is like. I I like dark Okay, hair. fair fair enough. Dark hair, light eyes. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> and and now Bye. we're going to transition to after dark. <laughs> All right, see you guys next week. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can also be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all the amazing work being featured over on thelorenetwork.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.